1: Welcome to Season 5, Episode 37 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. Forensic team dressed head to toe in white overalls combed the field. In their hunt for clues, they stood several metres apart as they steadily manoeuvred through the muddy grassland, which was bordered by trees and dense bushes. The nearby road was closed off, and tracking dogs were deployed around the scene. The discovery was made by refuse collectors near the Cheshire village of Ashley, located on the boundary of Greater Manchester. On their morning round, shortly before quarter to eight, from the cab of the vehicle, one of them saw something on the side of the road. As the rubbish truck slowed on the narrow lane surrounded by open fields, one of the workers jumped down to the tarmac and approached with trepidation they realised it was the body of a young male he was face down partially dressed and covered in a mixture of blood and dirt it was clear he had been struck on the head several times there was a prominent injury to the back of his neck the refuse collectors immediately contacted the emergency services as one of them attempted to find a pulse. A call handler gave instructions on how to perform CPR and chest compressions. Paramedics quickly arrived and although they made every effort to resuscitate the teenager, it was no use. Time of death was pronounced at 8.12am. It was only 12 days before Christmas 2019. Police officers descended on the scene. It was plain to see that someone had moved the body. The victim was attacked and then left overnight exposed to the elements. Mud and several scratches were apparent, likely made when the body was dragged by its feet around 20 metres through dense vegetation. The teenager looked to be just over six feet tall and possibly weighed in the region of 15 stone. Cadaver dogs led officers to a farm close by where it appeared before the culprit fled They had washed blood from their hands using an outdoor tap. As the immediate area was examined by scene of crime officers, a large amount of blood was found on a nearby pathway. Frustratingly, heavy rainfall had washed away most of the forensic evidence. Coincidentally, the previous evening a frantic appeal had been made online as a teenager from the village of Pickmere near Knutsford, around nine miles southwest, had been reported missing after he failed to return home. The 15-year-old had last been seen dressed in a jumper on which the word Kenzo was printed, a pair of black jeans and some black and white trainers. Alexander Rodder was a pupil from Holmes Chapel Comprehensive School. He worked part-time in the Windmill Inn, close to where he lived. Around 12 hours before the discovery, Alex's mother had been out on the night of Thursday, December 12th with a friend. When she returned, her son was still not home. She called him but had been unable to get through. She contacted the emergency services, telling the operator that Alex always carried his mobile phone with him and he would always answer it. A search by Torchlight was conducted throughout nearby parks. Fraud posts were made on social media as the family prayed for a positive outcome. Tragically, on the morning of December 13th, their worst nightmare would be realised. Officers from the Major Crime Directorate began working to understand how exactly Alex Rodder had died. The consensus was without question. The 15-year-old had been murdered. Cheshire Police appealed to anyone who had captured footage from CCTV or a dashcam in Ashley from the evening of December 12th to the early morning of December 13th. Floral tributes, candles and a teddy bear were left at the scene by family and friends, looking to pay their respects. Forensic officers continued to explore nearby farmland and the area where the body had been found shortly before 8am on Friday, December 13th. Rumour and speculation quickly filled both local and national newspapers. News of the teenager's death was confirmed on a website owned by Holmes Chapel Comprehensive School. A message from the faculty confirmed that as an active investigation was ongoing, they would not be commenting on the incident, other than to offer their condolences to the family and lend their support to students. A family statement issued to the media described how much Alex was loved how he was someone who made friends easily, and above all else, how trusting he was. Neighbours and acquaintances recalled Alex fondly and said he was always dressing up, never failing to make people laugh. Alex Rodder had a large circle of friends that he made through school and his part-time job in the local pub. He enjoyed sharing photographs with his followers on Instagram, but numbered almost 4,000. One of his last posts pictured him smiling with some text next to the image. It mentions a year of up and downs and how everything happens for a reason. He signed off the post, Peace, Love and Positivity. Soon after the news broke, Alex's mother, Lisa, was interviewed by a reporter for the Sunday Mirror. She remarked that she wished her son had not been so trusting. Lisa Rodder considered her son kind, but also naive. He was only 15, she said. That made him vulnerable. I am heartbroken. Lisa's former partner and Alex's father Adam, a publican, would later share a post about his son's death on social media. He thanked his friends and family for the support he had received. Please say a little prayer for my beautiful baby boy, he wrote. Just over a year later, Alex's mother would tell a jury how her son was a joy to be around. He had experienced some bullying while he was at school. When Alex was 13, he had told his mother he was gay. Lisa Rodder testified. I was expecting the conversation at some point. I told him that whatever he was, it's all right to be himself, to be free. He didn't need to mask himself, it's important to be okay to be free in himself. Little was known of what exactly had happened and how 15-year-old Alex Rodder travelled to the open fields near Ashley. Still, the Cheshire Constabulary wasted little time in the pursuit of the truth. It was confirmed that an 18-year-old male taken into custody was being questioned by detectives. He had been arrested on suspicion of murder. The young man was reportedly living with his family in the village of Ollerton, around 7.5 miles east from Pickmere where Alex Rodder lived and about 6.5 miles north from the village of Ashley near where Alex's body was found. Alex's friends were interviewed. They described how he had been taken advantage of by the person it was being alleged had ended his life. According to initial news reports, Alex had met the suspect half a dozen times, although the accuracy of that statement was in question. Before he died, Alex had told a friend he was meeting someone they were going to somewhere referred to as a secret place in the forest. 11.33pm, Saturday December 14th, 2019. Cheshire Constabulary announced that 18-year-old Matthew Mason was being charged with the murder of Alex Rodder. He also faced a charge of possession of a bladed article in a public place. Mason had been taken into custody at midday the previous day, four hours after Alex Rodder's body was found. Mason was arrested some 45 miles away in Staffordshire. He was scheduled to appear at South Cheshire Magistrates Court in Crewe on Monday, December 16th. that Matthew Mason appeared to face charges, several photographers surrounded the prison van he was being transported in. The lenses of their cameras pressed up against the tinted glass windows. One photo of Mason widely circulated in the press pictured him dressed in an open neck white shirt and dark trousers, appearing bleary eyed and somewhat dishevelled. He was looking directly at the camera. Families of both Mason and Alex Rodder filed into the public gallery of South Cheshire Magistrates Court. In the 15-minute hearing, Mason was read the charges he faced. It would later be revealed that when Alex's mother Lisa was trying to track down her son the night he went missing, she spoke with his friends. Lisa Rodder discovered that Alex was in the company of Matthew Mason. She found out Mason's number and called him, asking where was her son. Matthew Mason said that Alex had been dropped off at 6 p.m. near his school. He claimed that Alex was going out shopping with some friends in Manchester. Distraught and under the belief that Mason was lying, Alex's mother said she was going to call the police. The 18-year-old stated he would be happy to meet in person to explain what had happened, even offering to help, but Mason was told in no uncertain terms to stay away. The circumstances surrounding Alex Rodder's death still remained a mystery to the public. Under Section 45 of the Youth Justice and Criminal Evidence Act 1999, a submission was made by Prosecutor Debbie Byrne on behalf of Alex's family. They sought to prevent his name from being reported by the media. Debbie Byrne said, I am aware and the police are aware that his name is already in the public domain, but the court are asked to consider a reporting restriction at this stage in the case as it makes its way to the Crown. At the discretion of the court, submissions like this provide anonymity for victims, witnesses and defendants under the age of 18 when proceedings commence balancing the child's welfare against the public interest and the media's right to report. This was agreed by a chair of the bench, David Griffith, who believed there was more than one victim in this case, Alex's family. It was, however, argued later that day by representatives from the media that an order for an S45A had been issued, not an s 45 This would have provided an individual with lifelong anonymity, but the submission had been filed under the name of Alex Rodder, who was dead. This, coupled with the fact that both Alex's name and photograph had been widely shared, most notably by relatives, Her Majesty's courts and tribunal service acknowledged that an error had been made and lifted the reporting restrictions that surrounded the case. The tabloids were quick to report that Matthew Mason, the young man in custody charged with murder, lived with his relatives in a large farmhouse. He worked as a part-time apprentice mechanic for Ashbrooks, a company that hired agricultural machinery. Mason was also studying a three-year agricultural engineering course at Reese Heath College in Nantwich. He was often seen at church with his parents and two sisters. Like Alex Rodder, Mason had also been a pupil at Holmes Chapel Comprehensive School. Several images of Mason pulled from social media pictured him fishing, proudly holding up his catch, a pastime he shared with his father. Mason had been stopped by police as he was travelling through Staffordshire on Friday, December 13th. Automatic number plate recognition cameras had captured his vehicle travelling in the direction of Telford, so officers were deployed to take Mason into custody. When Mason's car slowed to a stop after it was shadowed by a patrol car, an officer approached the driver's side window on foot. The young man in the driver's seat looked to his right but did not follow the instructions of the officer when he was asked to put his hands on the wheel and slowly get out of the vehicle. Mason stared blankly into space. The window was smashed and Mason was pulled from the car and restrained. Officers noted dried blood on his hands and under his fingernails. The suspect was taken to Middlewich Police Station for questioning. Following his arrest, Mason underwent a physical examination. It was noted there was bruising around his knees and the back of his hands. He had scratches on his face and lower back. Some of the marks were suggestive he had moved through patches of rough vegetation... In the boot of his car, officers found a bin bag. Inside was a green fleece, a piece of rope, a padded jacket it was said belonged to Alex Rodder and the item it was alleged Mason used in the killing. They were all smeared in blood. When interviewed by officers for Cheshire Police, Mason chose not to say anything other than no comment. A prosecutor would later submit that Mason did this to bide himself some time and conceal any inconsistencies in his story. It was only when he learned of the evidence against him he constructed his argument. It was suggested Mason knew by adopting this approach he would not provide any conflicting statements. His account would remain congruous. Two days after a special assembly in which Alex Rodder's classmates held a minute's silence in his honour, Dressed in dark grey prison-issue clothing, the accused Matthew Mason appeared at Chester Crown Court via video link from HMP Altcourse. Both families were again in attendance, and cries and sobs could be heard from the public gallery. The honorary recorder of Chester, Judge Stephen Everett, recognised the tragedy of the case and the emotional nature of what had occurred. He thanked the families for their conduct throughout the proceedings. Mason was told he would be held on remand over Christmas and could enter a plea in February. Almost eight weeks after the body of Alex Rodder was found, he was finally laid to rest. His family and hundreds of mourners gathered at St. James's Church in Audlum to say their goodbyes. An order of service contained a collage of photos. Alex was pictured smiling and laughing. In one photo taken when he was younger with an aspirational look in his eye, Alex is holding up a placard with the words lawyer written in large letters as a veil of quiet fell over the sleepy Cheshire village. A white coffin had been carried up the church steps. Locals remarked that they had never seen so many people in one place. By a video link from HMP Alt Course, Matthew Mason spoke only to confirm his name and voice his plea. He was asked if he could clearly hear the court. He confirmed he could. This meant Mason would have been able to hear the sound of Alex Rodder's mother in tears. Much like every plea hearing, legal formalities were followed. For half an hour, both families yet again found themselves face-to-face in a courtroom. Chester Crown Court was told that as Matthew Mason pleaded not guilty to murder, this meant he would stand trial. Mason was told by Judge Stephen Everett, Between now and the trial, you have the opportunity to produce a defence statement. In that statement, you will set out what your case is about scheduled for the end of April the proceedings were expected to last a fortnight several news articles reported on the fact that when Alex Rodder was found he was partially undressed although the entire picture of what exactly had happened had yet to come into focus As with many trials scheduled for spring 2020, coronavirus brought not only the legal system but the entire country to a standstill. This meant the justice would have to wait. The trial was rescheduled not once, but twice. Although the legal proceedings were expected to start in April... Another eight months would pass until Matthew Mason was brought before a jury. The events leading up to Christmas 2019 were accounted to Chester Crown Court. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It was almost a year to the day since Alex Rodder had died. Standing in the dock, smartly dressed in a suit and tie, Matthew William Mason was the man the prosecution was suggesting had beaten the 15-year-old to death on the evening of December 12, 2019. Mason had received a message from Alex through Snapchat earlier in the day and CCTV captured part of the journey Mason made in his car, a black Renault Clear. He picked up Alex around 5.30 in the evening. The pair drove to a remote piece of woodland near Ashley. Mason's car remained in the same location for just over half an hour. Experts tracked Mason's vehicle through telematics data from a black box that monitored the car and its movements for insurance purposes. This proved at the very least that the vehicle was in the vicinity of the area where Alex's body was found during the period in which it was believed he was killed. The witness, who also saw Mason's car at the gated entrance of the woods, took a photo of the vehicle soon after 6pm, under the assumption that the driver was dealing drugs. When they heard about the murder inquiry, the witness made a report to the police and submitted a photo. Matthew Mason was then identified as the owner of the Black Renault Clear. The jury were instructed by the judge that they did not have to decide who killed Alex Rodder. That much was clear. Their task was to determine whether Matthew Mason was guilty of murder. Armed with a heavy spanner 36 centimetres long, It was submitted by the crown that Mason had inflicted more than a dozen blows to Alex's head in an attack that was described as brutal and merciless. There were defensive wounds to Alex's hands. A home office pathologist noted that some wounds to the forehead and scalp were four centimetres across. Blood spatter had been found 20 metres away. Suggesting the body was moved after it was struck. Pathologist Dr. Christopher Johnson later testified. In my opinion, this was a violent and repetitive assault with a blunt weapon. I estimate it involved the landing of at least 15 separate blows with a blunt shaped weapon. A large spanner could have been used to inflict the blunt injuries. I record the cause of death as blunt force hemorrhage. From Chester Crown Court on the opening day of the trial, Ian Unsworth QC spared few details. He recounted how Alex was persuaded to travel to the woods before the attack. After collecting Alex from the safety of his mother's home and then ending his life, Mason went to a nearby outhouse to remove any forensic evidence from his body and clothing. He was familiar with the area. Mason then drove to two local pubs, the first the Red Lion Pub in Pickmere and then the Golden Pheasant in Plumley. His movements were again captured on CCTV. Witnesses who were friends of Mason's and members of the Young Farmers Club described his behaviour. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. However, weeks earlier, several members of the club had been approached by Mason. He asked if he could borrow some money. According to them, he previously appeared depressed. Mason had recently broken up with his girlfriend, and something was on his mind. That night, when one of his friends pointed out to Mason that he had some blood on his jeans, he replied that he had had a nosebleed. While out with his friends on December 12th, Mason took a picture of himself and posted it on his Snapchat account. Later, around 10.20pm, he sent a message to his former girlfriend wishing her a good night. This message was accompanied by an image of Mason in bed, bare-chested. The prosecutor said that Mason's post on social media and messages to his girlfriend were sent to make it appear like any other night. Only weeks before, jurors were told the defendant had used Google to discover more about everyday poison and things that are poisonous. He also searched for mysteries of Cheshire, unsolved deaths of missing people, and what would happen when you kick someone down the stairs. he and Unsworth QC explained that Alex Rodder and Matthew Mason had grown close in the months leading up to Alex's death. Unsworth told jurors that the pair had, quote, enjoyed an intimate sexual relationship. The case for the prosecution is that Matthew Mason took Alexander Rodder to the woods on the pretense of sexual activity and then murdered him in cold blood. When Alex's body was found, some of his clothing had been removed. It has been reported that the 15-year-old's trousers and underwear were pulled down to his ankles. Unsworth observed that in a state of undress, Alex would have been highly vulnerable to an attack. The pattern of injuries suggest a violent, repetitive assault. The language used to describe what happened between Alex Roder and Matthew Mason in the trial often referred to them as having sex or engaging in sexual activity. But legally, Alex was not old enough to offer his consent. It is a criminal offence in the UK to have sex or engage in a sexual act with someone who is younger than 16 years of age. Matthew Mason was committing a crime. Although the public often uses the term statutory rape, this expression is not utilised in the legal text that underpins the Sexual Offences Act 2003 in England and Wales, Sexual Offences Northern Ireland Order 2008, and Sexual Offences Scotland Act 2009. Mason committed the crime of sexual activity with a child, as Alex Rodder was 15. Had Alex been under the age of 13, then the crime would have been rape. From a sentencing perspective, the distinction is essential. As Mason was 18, this too would have been an influencing factor that would have seen him face a harsher punishment had he been charged with any sexual offences. After experts reviewed the electronic correspondence between Alex Rodder and Matthew Mason, based on their social media messages, it was clear Mason had engaged in sexual activity with a child. A witness, a friend to Alex, would later say that they were aware of at least five occasions when this occurred. Alex's mother, Lisa, had arrived back at the family home on December 7th, five days before her son was killed, and found him in the company of a man she did not know. Alex appeared unsettled by his mother's arrival. Although introduced as a friend, Alex had never mentioned this person before. His mother warned her son not to see him again, He never said a word, appearing almost robotic. Alex's mother was certain that the man intended to harm her son. Lisa Rodder would later describe the encounter with Matthew Mason. My whole body felt fear, she testified. His eyes were soulless. He was cold and soulless. On December 12th, Alex had told his mother he wanted to go out as he was meeting a friend. The nights were drawing in early and it was dark outside. Although Lisa Rodder was unsure, her son was persistent, so she hesitantly let him go. After being picked up a short distance from his mother's in Pickmere, On the journey, Alex Rodder made his final post on social media. This was also the last time any of his friends would hear from him. At the start of November, six weeks before his death, Alex Rodder sent Matthew Mason's girlfriend, Caitlin Lancashire, a message through Instagram. He at first asked if she was Mason's partner. When she confirmed she was, Alex mentioned that Mason had sent him explicit photos and video of his genitals. Over the course of several weeks, Alex had received numerous messages. Mason had even turned up at his house. According to the Instagram message written by Alex Rodder, He was not initially aware Mason had a girlfriend, someone Mason had been in a relationship with for two years. Soon after the message to Mason's girlfriend was sent, Alex then messaged Mason asking him why he would send intimate pictures of himself if he had a serious girlfriend, not to mention the fact the person he was sending them to was 15 years old. When confronted by his girlfriend, Mason flat out denied the allegation to his partner. As a result, the young couple split up. They, however, still remained in touch. On December 12, 2019, in the late morning, Alex spoke with a friend via FaceTime. Alex, who was unwell leading up to that night and had been in bed for part of the day, mentioned that he would be meeting Mason that evening. There appeared to be no indication that anything was wrong. It was not until the friend, who was not named for legal reasons, spoke with Alex for a second time over FaceTime, and they said that Alex appeared uncomfortable. Mason had proposed to Alex that they go to a secret place in the forest. Alex seemed unsure of what exactly was going on, but told his friend that he agreed to go as he needed the money. For reasons that weren't yet apparent... At the start of November, Alex Rodder's bank account began to receive financial deposits from Matthew Mason. Analysis of their financial records showed that Mason sent Alex £50 on November 4th. Further transactions followed leading up to early December. The total received into Alex Rodder's account from Matthew Mason was just over £2,000. The Crown suggested that Mason was paying Alex, as he did not want anyone to know he was engaged in sexual activity with a 15-year-old. It was only when the Inquiry team reviewed Alex Rodder's entire correspondence history with not just Matthew Mason, but all his friends, they would learn more about why Mason was sending Alex money. Alex Rodder had at first threatened Mason that if he did not tell his girlfriend the truth about sending him explicit images of himself, he would publicly reveal what had happened. Mason was desperate and asked Alex not to share anything. It was then Mason began to send money. Things became even more complicated when Alex discussed the matter with a friend. It was suggested that if Mason stopped the payments Alex would be going to the police to report what had happened. One message from Alex read We'll tell the Fed and get him on sex offenders. Another read Money, money, money. Alex's friend warned him what he was doing was a criminal offence. It needed to stop. In one message recovered from Matthew Mason's phone, he told Alex he could no longer afford the payments as he would have no money left. Matthew Mason's defense counsel, Gordon Cole QC, did not dispute that his client ended Alex Rodder's life. He did not argue that Mason picked up the defendant on the evening of December 12th with a spanner in his car. The tool had not been purchased explicitly for the purpose of the killing. It was bought nine months earlier. Cole told the jury of seven women and five men the killing was not murder. Based on the barrister's arguments, Mason had picked up Alex Rodder to tell him that the quote, ''blackmail'' had to end. Mason had been borrowing money from his family and co-workers in an effort to send Alex Rodder money. Money that it was being alleged Alex was demanding, otherwise he would reveal what had happened. Mason had discussed the situation or his version of the events with a former boss. He said that he was being inundated with messages from a 15-year-old. Mason's boss, Andrew Gibson, took Mason's phone and messaged Alex telling him you are too young and to leave Mason alone. Gibson was told that that was the end of the matter. Mason's boss had lent his employee money, several hundred pounds, although he was not aware of the full extent of what was going on. In a prison visit after his arrest, Mason had admitted to Caitlin, his former girlfriend, what he had done. The same day that Mason ended Alex Rodder's life, Earlier on December 12th, he had had an argument with Caitlin. She asked for his help, but Mason was belligerent. He seemed out of character. Caitlin then came to learn of Alex Rodder's disappearance and how the police were now investigating the matter. She asked Mason if he was involved. He had first promised he had nothing to do with it. Throughout the night, he had been sent messages asking if he'd seen Alex Rodder. Mason even spoke with Alex's mother. It was only later in a prison visit when he admitted his involvement. Through tears, Mason told Caitlin that every time he saw Alex in the lead-up to the teenager's death, he was parting with hundreds of pounds. From the stand Caitlin told the court that Mason explicitly admitted to the killing but said to her that he could not go on the way things were and that's why he did what he did. The defence's argument against murder was twofold. It was claimed that while Mason had killed Alex he did so in self-defence and when he retaliated in a frenzy, this outburst was due to Mason losing control. Mason had ended Alex Rodder's life with a spanner. That much was true. However, Gordon Cole QC said that the violent altercation was started by Alex. This was a version of the events that Mason had repeated to his former girlfriend while he was incarcerated. Teenager Alex Rodder had, in the barrister's view, persuaded the defendant, an 18-year-old, to engage in a sexual relationship. Cole said the jury should consider that either Mason killed Alex in self-defence when he fought back, or he lost control when he felt, quote, "...seriously wronged, being allegedly made to hand over his savings." If the jury agreed to the latter, it would reduce murder to the lesser offence of voluntary manslaughter. Speaking to the jury, the prosecutor, Ian Unsworth, QC, had acknowledged Alex's behaviour before his death was that of a quote, immature young man who did not cover himself in glory at every turn. Even if that is a view that any one of you share. The prosecution contend that that simply does not provide an excuse, let alone a defence, for what this defendant did. A friend of Alex's would later say, I think he saw it as a game, a relationship he just didn't understand. I don't think he understood the concept of what was going on. Matthew Mason was offered the chance to put forward his side of the story when he testified in his own defence. From the stand, in a measured, almost monotone voice, he agreed his actions caused the death of Alex Rodder. Mason stated that he was ashamed of the pain caused to both Alex's family and to his own. Asked by his counsel, Gordon Cole QC, if he thought he was going to get away with what he had done, Mason replied, No, I knew I was going to be arrested. The defendant said he was advised by his solicitor to answer no comment when interviewed by police. When questioned how they ended up in the woods... Mason claimed that Alex not only demanded more money, but also wanted a lift into the village of Holmes Chapel. On the evening of December 12, 2019, Mason picked up Alex in his Renault Clio. During the journey, Alex was using his mobile phone. According to the defendant, Alex proposed they, quote, "...do something." Mason was of the understanding that the two were going to have sex. When they found a secluded spot near an area of land Mason's family used for farming, they got out of the vehicle. Mason, who claimed that he often left tools in his car, saw a spanner behind the driver's seat. He picked it up and concealed it in his sleeve. Mason told the court that he took the tool with him as he wanted to show Alex that he was being serious and the payments needed to stop. He testified that he also took the tool with him for protection as he was not sure what Alex might do when informed there was not going to be any more money. In Mason's version of the events, he told the court that when he got to a clearing in the woods... Alex allegedly tried to undo Mason's trousers. Mason told Alex to stop. He said he had no more money left and could not afford to pay him. Mason claimed that he told Alex he was feeling suicidal. There is only Mason's account to go by, but according to the defendant, Alex became frustrated. He told Mason he was a fucking idiot and that he was wasting his time. Alex then pushed Mason, who at this moment had his trousers loosened. He fell backwards, and as he did so, the spanner he was concealing fell out of his right sleeve. Mason did not explain how Alex had not noticed the metal tool before. But Alex was not there to tell his side of the story. Mason said that Alex picked up the spanner and struck him on the side of the forehead and the upper side of his body. It was later highlighted that no one in Alex's inner circle had considered him to be a violent person. According to Mason, the pair began to wrestle and he got the upper hand. Mason testified, it was my breaking point. I'd had enough of everything. He said he could not remember exactly what he did, but Mason admitted that he struck Alex repeatedly. The defendant confessed that his actions were cowardly and out of proportion. Once he came to his senses, Mason testified that he did not know what to do. Alex was alive, although seriously injured. He was unconscious and still breathing. Mason's trousers had by this point fallen below his waist and were covered in blood. Staining and forensic transfer from his hands to the upper part of his trousers proved that he either unfastened or fastened his jeans. Pulling up his trousers, Mason stumbled back to his car, then retrieved his cigarettes. He did not call for help, even though Alex Rodder was slowly dying. In a daze, Mason stood smoking for almost 15 minutes. He said he was panicked. He left the scene and found somewhere he could wash the blood from his hands before driving off. In the car, Mason realised Alex's phone had been left in the back seat. He threw it out of the window. Alex Rodder died alone as he succumbed to his injuries. A short time later, Mason met up with friends for a few drinks and pretended nothing had happened. He said he wanted to try and get the, quote, normality back in life. Within hours he was contacted asking if he had seen Alex. He even offered to help find him. But it was only when he received an alert from the police at 12.35am this spurred Mason to return to the scene. The text message read, Matthew, Could you please contact Cheshire Police on 101, quoting Incident IML 587082, with regards to your friend Alex. Thank you. Telemetrics data from his Renault Clio and CCTV footage were used to plot the journey of the vehicle as it travelled back to the woods. By 1am, Mason had returned to the spot where Alex had been killed and moved his body. Arguing for the Crown, Ian Unsworth QC said that Mason did this to better conceal what he had done. However, he was unable to. On the other hand, Mason claimed it would have been days before Alex's body would have been found, so he said he moved it to a spot that was visible from the road. From the stand, Mason was asked several questions by his defence counsel, Gordon Cole QC. The exchange deserves reproducing, considering Mason was alleging that he was struck first by Alex. Did you mean to kill him? Gordon Cole QC asked. Matthew Mason replied, No. Did you want to kill him? No. No. Did you want to seriously hurt him? No. Did you take him into the woods to kill him? No. Was any of what happened planned? No, Mason replied. A doctor examined Matthew Mason after his arrest. He could find limited evidence of a head injury allegedly caused by Alex Rodder. It was possible a light to medium punch would not leave significant markings, but a substantial blow from, say, a spanner would leave bruising and swelling. There was no evidence Matthew Mason had been struck with such an object. To further comprehend Mason's motivations, detectives sought to understand the relationship he had with Alex Rodder. The pair had first communicated on Facebook in the latter half of 2019. This progressed to other social media platforms such as Snapchat. They had known each other for some time and both attended Holmes Chapel Comprehensive School. 15-year-old Alex Rodder was someone that appeared by all accounts to be comfortable with who he was. Conversely, Matthew Mason, three years Alex's senior, was not. He came from a wealthy, church-going family and ran in more conservative circles. Mason would later admit that some of his friends were homophobic and racist. He wanted to hide what was going on. To begin with, the pair exchanged friendly messages. Although, over time, at least according to Mason, the nature of the messages changed. Alex started sending communications that were flirtatious in nature. Mason claimed that Alex said he was, quote, fit, and in one exchange asked him if he was wearing any clothing. And they began to communicate more frequently. Mason then sent Alex explicit material, intimate pictures and video of himself. Mason professed that in the first instance he was drunk, and then it was Alex who was asking for more. Throughout much of his testimony, Mason positioned himself as someone who was at the whims of a 15-year-old, telling the court that on some occasions he was unable to say no when propositioned. The defendant said Alex would get upset and pleaded for intimacy. Matthew Mason would describe how he never questioned his sexuality before. It was only when he started receiving messages from Alex Rodder that changed. At the start of November 2019, Matthew Mason claimed that Alex Rodder asked him for £50. Otherwise, he would post a screenshot of the explicit recording of what he had been sent on social media. Mason spoke of how Alex Rodder had threatened to ruin his life. Some of Mason's claims could not be directly backed up by any correspondence through social media or otherwise, as Alex Rodder's phone had never been found. It just so happened that Mason was the person that disposed of it. However, in messages between Alex and one of his friends, it was clear he was asking Mason for money. In the courtroom, Mason was asked why he would give Alex money, and he told his counsel that the 15-year-old seemed like the type of person that would go through with the threats he made. The defendant agreed that the payments were to buy Alex's silence. Mason was also asked about his internet search history, which mentioned poisoning and kicking someone down the stairs. He said that this was solely in regards to taking his own life, no one else's. In Mason's testimony, which lasted three days, there remained some confusion around what happened during the periods when Mason and Alex would meet in private. Mason claimed that Alex was the instigator, although when asked what happened, Mason repeatedly said that he would often make Alex stop. According to Mason's statements, he was worried about his family and friends finding out what happened. He said he was ashamed. He said that no one in his life would accept him for being gay or bisexual, and they certainly would not understand why he was involved with a 15-year-old. Mason was again asked why he made the payments. He replied, Because he asked me to. That's all I can say about it. Give this case no thought at all over the break. I hope you all have a happy and peaceful Christmas. Those were the words uttered by the judge after the trial was briefly halted for the holiday period. The trial was set to resume in 2021. Jurors had been reminded of the arguments from both the prosecution and defence. Ian Unsworth QC arguing for the Crown told Chester Crown Court that Mason knew what he planned to do and had even researched how he would go about it. He wanted to put a stop to what the defence referred to as blackmail. The prosecution submitted that Mason intended to end Alex Rodder's life. When he returned to the scene in the early morning, he had only moved Alex's body not because Mason wanted it to be found, but because he did not have the strength to conceal it. Alternatively, the defence proposed that Matthew Mason acted in self-defence. Barrister Gordon Cole QC had told the court that it was not Mason who struck Alex first, but it was the other way around. His client was defending himself and then lost control while in a panic state. He was said to be influenced by the situation he found himself in being told he would have to make numerous payments to stop explicit images of himself being shared on social media by the very person he killed. The judge had reminded the jury of the loss of control defense. Quite. In certain circumstances a person charged with murder may not be guilty of murder and instead be guilty of manslaughter. Did Matthew Mason kill Alex Rodder as a result of loss of control? Loss of control is defined as an inability to maintain your actions in accordance with a considered, justified and normal reasonability. You must consider all of the evidence, the injuries and the force of the blows needed to inflict the injuries. the defence argued that Matthew Mason had a justifiable sense of being seriously wronged because he was being, quote, blackmailed by Alex Rodder. Before the jury retired only days before Christmas, they were reminded to look at the facts of the case and not arrive at a decision based on their emotions. Judge Stephen Everett said, It's no issue that it was the defendant that inflicted these blows. It is not an issue that the defendant was involved in a sexual relationship with Alex in the weeks or months leading up to the events of the attack. Whatever conclusion you reach about the sexual acts, this is not a principal issue. Your task is to decide what happened when Matthew Mason attacked Alex Rodder. When the jury reconvened at Chester Crown Court in the new year, they heard closing arguments before they retired to make a decision the judge asked that they arrive at a unanimous verdict. The 12 members of the jury spent a day and the morning of January 7th deliberating, but it was clear they could not all agree on whether or not Matthew Mason was a murderer. After the judge was informed, he told them he would accept a majority verdict. It would not be long until the young man in the dock would truly learn the enormity of his actions. Jurors had spent eight and a half hours discussing the evidence. After they were given further direction, a decision would come around an hour later. Cries could be heard from Alex Rodder's family in the public gallery. Matthew Mason broke down. No one can pretend this has been an easy case, the judge said. The tears came as Matthew Mason was found guilty of the murder of Alex Rodder. As sobs were also heard from the jury, the judge told Mason that it was clear he had been using the trial to try and escape a murder conviction. Judge Stephen Everett said the evidence against him was overwhelming. The judge thanked jurors for the truly terrible and difficult task they had before them. Explaining that it was not his position to pass an opinion on the case, jurors were told, "'You had to decide what was in his mind. You now have to trust me to pass the appropriate sentence.'" Detective Inspector Nigel Reed, who led the inquiry and was thanked by Alex's family for his hard work, was interviewed outside Chester Crown Court. Reed described how Mason sought to commit murder undetected in a spot where no one would witness him bludgeoning to death a 15 year old. Matthew Mason was called selfish, cold and calculating by Alex Rodder's family. In a statement read by Alex's father, he thanked the jury for coming to the decision they did. Adam Rodder described his son as a gentle, loving, kind, caring, respectful boy. His father said Alex's life was cut short by a man who never considered anyone else's feelings when he sought to minimise his sentence. The family spoke of how they knew their son and they were confident that Mason's allegations were not true. But they had no other choice than to go through the month-long legal process in order to see justice done. Adam Rodder remarked how devastated the family would have been if the jury arrived at anything less than a murder conviction. Now we're in a position where we can start to think positively about moving forward in our lives, Adam Rodder said. So where are we now? On January 25th, 2021, three weeks after Matthew Mason had been convicted of murder, Alex Rodder's family returned to Chester Crown Court. Before sentencing, their victim personal statements highlighted the hole that had been left in their lives after Alex's passing. Unlike the conclusion of the trial where the tears never seemed to end, Mason looked out from the dock, staring blankly into nothing, but no one. Alex's mother Lisa said she struggled to see a future without her son. His father had fought not to take his own life to be with Alex. Lisa Rodder reflected on the bond she had with Alex and the unconditional love she felt. He was happy. He was 15 and he was full of joy, inspiration and enthusiasm for life and he loved everyone. We raised him in love. He wasn't raised in fear. He was brought up with no mask. He was proud to be himself. He was 15 He was courageous. He was joyful. After hearing the mitigating and aggravating factors, the honorary recorder of Chester, Judge Stephen Everett, would pass sentence. The judge told Matthew Mason he was a selfish individual who thought about nobody but himself. Although Mason was initially contacted by Alex Rodder, it was Mason who desired sexual activity when he sent the 15-year-old an explicit recording and pictures of himself. Quote, You clearly encourage your young victim to involve himself in what was clearly his first real sexual experience. In other words, you groomed him. You didn't realise the consequences of what he was doing. You clearly understood this. In reality, not only were you much older, not just in years, but more emotionally mature than him. The judge told the now 19-year-old that he would have likely served many years in prison for sexual offending. It is clear Alex Rodder was naive as he demanded money from you as a way for him to keep quiet about your sexual offending. You chose to behave in that way, the judge said. He was a 15-year-old boy who was still young and immature for his age and had no real concept of the consequences. The judge said the killing was not made on the spur of the moment. Judge Stephen Everett highlighted the significant factors of the case, the planning and premeditation, both before and after the attack, including Mason's attempt to move the body. Matthew Mason was facing a life sentence for murder. A starting point of 25 years was decided by the judge. Due to the aggravating factors such as trying to conceal the remains and the level of planning beforehand, this was increased by a further three years. The judge ruled that the minimum time Mason would have to serve before he would be eligible for release on licence was 28 years. Factoring in time on remand, after Matthew Mason's minimum term ends in 2047, a parole board will decide whether he is fit to see the outside world. Unable to meet the gaze of his family, Mason looked to the floor as he was escorted from the courtroom to begin his sentence. Before sentencing, Alex Rodder's father spoke about how much he missed his son. How much he would miss seeing Alex experiencing the things in life that we all take for granted. Having a loving relationship. Getting married. Having children. Adam Rodder said that now all of Alex's friends and family have one thing in common. They will never see Alex again. Concluding his victim personal statement, he added, For me, I'm looking forward to the moment when I'm back with my little boy again, where I can protect him better than I could in life. The judge acknowledged that in his experience, many surviving family members blame themselves when a relative is killed. He replied to Adam Rodder, It's not your fault. There is only one person at fault here, and it's not you, you did nothing wrong. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Michael Kelly, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.